P.V. Miller, Avery Anderson, Jameer Nelson Jr., Jr. J.R. Junior Juniors. Junior. Texas Christian University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your favorite podcast with your three favorite geniuses giving their not-so-genius takes on all things TCU sports and other things around the country. Uh, We've got a good bit to talk about this week. First is that we won a basketball game. No, wait, hold on, we didn't. No, wait, yes, we did. But before we get to that, we thought we were all done with football, but it appears that TCU caught a stray, and we've got to address it real quick. I'll read this off for the audio listeners, and I'll let you guys give your responses. Stephen A. Smith tweeted, condolences to Florida State. They were fantastic, but blame no further than TCU. If they hadn't gotten destroyed 65-7 to in the national title game last year, things may have been different. But we don't need the potential of another slaughter because FSU doesn't have a quarterback. Could not risk it. Boys, tell me why exactly Stephen A. Smith is objectively a moron. My So my take here is that, like, kind of similar story to what we saw with TC, right? You Florida State played the entire season, went 13-0, and and proved that they were a good team throughout the season. That should be the end of the story here. So I'm not entirely sure why Stephen A. Smith decided it was the right move to just throw TCU under the bus here. Um, I've maintained throughout the past year that it would not have mattered who went to play Georgia in that national title game. They came out and they dominated the game from start to finish as exhibited by the score. And I don't think it would have mattered who they played. They were going to stomp whoever they played. Um, I This is, this is a low blow from Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> Um, friend of the podcast, Derrico, uh, Derrico Henrio has tweeted a lot of times at a lot of things like this, that really is the, the correct response to this is, do people not remember that the Fiesta Bowl happened? Like if we didn't deserve to be there, then what was Michigan? Yeah. I feel really bad for Florida state just because they beat a top 15 team. They beat a top 15 team team with their third string quarterback that's a that's a top four team if you can if you can beat a top a a great team by double digits with your third string quarterback and louisville was known for an explosive offense they weren't necessarily a great defensive team but they could make big plays when they needed to florida state held them to six points that's a top that's a top four team in my opinion you can complain about the fact that Florida State doesn't have Jordan Travis all you want. And the reality of the matter is Florida State without Jordan Travis is a different team. And I get that. But Florida State's defense showed that they are still a national talent. And the other thing is that, okay, yes, Jordan Travis got injured, but what was Florida State supposed to do? I mean, like if you're any team in the ACC, obviously next year it's getting shaken up. But if not for the shakeup, the message you just got is if you go 13-0 and and your name isn't Clemson, sorry, we don't care. It is to, to the chagrin of SMU fans everywhere, the committee said that the ACC is not a power three team. That was what this message was. They don't matter, and it, it doesn't matter what you do. There's nothing you could have done to get in. Yeah, and I thought it was hilarious that 
the committee basically said, oh, yeah, well, we asked people who they would rather play. And they put Bama ahead of Florida State, but they still put Georgia behind Florida State. If you want to use that reasoning, don't just use it for the top four. Use it for the entire top 25. Well, because in reality, if that's really the reasoning, the Bama pulled it over against Georgia, but that game was effectively a coin flip. If you ask me who would I rather play, Georgia or Bama, throw a dart at the wall, pick one. They're both really good teams. And there's no scenario that Georgia is multiple spots lower of who would you rather play than Bama. Like, it's just that that was just them saying anything. I think, like, there's a couple core flaws with Florida State being taken out of here. Like, the biggest one being that if you're going to go 13-0 and and not get into the playoffs in a, I would say, top four conference, like, what's the point of playing the entire season in that case? If if the committee is just going to pick whoever they want based off of quote unquote, like best team, like your season doesn't matter at that point. They're just going to pick whoever they want. And so that's one key issue I have here. The other one is that like putting Bama in secures an SEC team in the playoffs. And they can say all they want that this isn't about money, but it is like SEC teams in general. And, and Florida state is a bit of a caveat here because they're a good team that they bring in money and viewership themselves. But SEC team, SEC teams in general bring in more viewership and more money than other programs. And that's plain and simple. And it's, this goes to show that there's a little bit of bias from the committee in terms of trying to put in a team that they think is going to make more money for them. It's just utterly ridiculous to have the team that gets left out be an undefeated conference champion. And then it's unbelievably ridiculous for Stephen A. Smith to say that the reason the team that got left out was a conference champion undefeated team was because Georgia beat TCU. That's (laughs) completely insane. With, With that, we've got one more tweet up. Our video viewers can see it, but I'll read it out for our audio listeners. Unfortunately, significant injuries impact teams as much as head-to-head matchups and conference championships. You can't ignore the impact the loss of Jordan Travis had on the Knolls. Sucks, but part of a team's final evaluation. That is from Kirk Herbstreit. What are you boys' thoughts? I think it just proves what Barrett said earlier about this is a money-making thing. Because, like I said, the Knolls beat a top 15 team with their third-string quarterback by double digits. If that's not a top four team, what is? They blame it as injuries, but that's just an excuse to put Bama in. It really yeah. is. And Kirk Herbstreet is just – he's an overrated announcer in my opinion, but all announcers are a bit overrated in my opinion. And and this just proves he's part of the, the money-making machine. And the thing is, Kirk Herbstreit's not totally wrong with what he said. The Knolls probably would have won by four touchdowns instead of two if they'd had, uh, or however many it was, if they'd had um, Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis is an enormous factor. But Jordan Travis is out. What are, I said this the second ago, and I'll say it again. 
what was Florida State supposed to do other than the two weeks without Jordan Travis? They've beaten their main rival in the swamp by multiple possessions, more than Bama beat Auburn, by the way, more than any of the big-name teams beat their main rivals in their rivalry weeks. Florida State beat Florida by more than that in the swamp. And then Florida State had a decisive win over Louisville in the conference championship. Like, I do agree Jordan Travis being gone matters. And there's an argument to be made that they're not as great without – well, they're definitely not as great, but they're not necessarily great at all without him. But you look at their two games without him, what on earth are you pointing to to show that they don't deserve it any less than any other team out there who has has their starter still in? Let's move on then into basketball because we are done with football. Uh, Jacob and I did a quick round ball review earlier this week. Barrett, you have any last thoughts on the TCU-Houston Christian game that you didn't get to share there? Anyone who wants to hear Jacobs in mind can gladly go listen. It is available wherever you're getting this podcast right now. Yeah, the, the biggest thing that I would say is just this is what this TCU play style should look like. Like That was probably the cleanest version of TCU's aggressive defense creating easy baskets on turnovers. The biggest piece of this game that I thought was was what separated it is the turnovers. And not only the fact that we forced 24 turnovers, which is a lot, but the fact that 17 of them were live ball turnovers, which means that we're able to run in transition and get down, get an easy bucket before the team has a chance to set up their defense. And that was the big breakdown here. And, and the big reason why we absolutely dominated that game. That's fair. If you'd like any more takes on that game, again, there is a round ball review midweek episode available. With that, we are going to move on to the wild Georgetown game. But before we get to the wild finale, boys, what are your thoughts just on the Georgetown game in general? It wasn't a good game overall from TCU's standpoint. <clears throat> and it wasn't a good game. And we still scored 84 points. I mean, that's impressive. The points total that Georgetown scored, 83, not good. But I think this team is much more offensively inclined than TCU teams and Jamie Dixon teams in the past. Yeah, this is this was a game of runs, in all honesty. And and that's that holds true for a lot of basketball, but I think more in particular in this game. Georgetown got out to a really early lead, and then TCU stormed back in the second half of the first half, and then the beginning of the second half, and then Georgetown did the exact same thing. They flipped the switch, stormed back from a really pretty big lead for TCU. Probably should have won the game, except for some ridiculous ending. Except Uh, for the best referees I've ever seen in a sporting event. (laughs) I don't know about that one, but it was this was definitely a wild game. Yeah, um, it was insane. I was really worried this game because I, as you all know, I'm a Dolphins fan, and I've gotten a lot of comments this season about how we can't beat a team with a winning record. 
And I was really, really worried. I was about to get the same thing for TCU basketball that like, it's been a fun start to the season because we played nobody and have had nothing to play. But now that we're getting to the real part of our schedule where we're playing real opponents, I was worried we were going to lose that game as soon as we got to the real parts of the team. But to be fair, there's something to be said about making yourself win even in an ugly game. Like props to the boys for that. Cross the boys for having the sheer force of will to make a shot even when you're standing out of bounds. It's it's something that only our boys can do. Yeah, hey, no, he was not out of bounds. He was ruled in bounds. Yeah, that's true. Therefore, he was in bounds. It I just to hit on that, I have to say, I that freak I think we every person listening to this and every person not listening to this that watched that game had the same like explosion in their head for those few minutes of we win. No, we don't win. No, we do win. No, we don't win. Yes, we do win. That was terrifying. I know Barrett was at the TCU volleyball game at the time. So it was on a lag and was getting Jacob and I's comments live stream, live, bleh, live fed. And literally was just like, I have no idea what's happening based on you guys. texts. But at the end of the day, Jacob's exactly right. He was not ruled out of bounds. Therefore, he was in bounds. And on on that topic, I like that's a tough spot for these refs to be put in. They obviously at the end of the game know that they missed a call and it directly affected the end of the game. Um however, I think they did a good job of handling the situation as a whole. I would say the the foul leading up to the two free throws to end the game was a pretty weak foul as is. And so that's, that's a tough spot for the ref to be in, in that position. You're not really looking for the guy to be stepping out of bounds. Like that's a, that's a bang, bang play. It's pretty easy to miss. You're looking for fouls um, for the, from the defensive players. And so I, I want to give props to the refs for like sticking to the rule book and that I know it's kind of a crappy way to, to win a game on some level, but um, it, it is what it is. I know that sounds kind of weird coming from a TCU fan. Like, yeah, I'm giving props to the refs cause they want us the game, but, but I would have said the same thing if it had been the other way around, honestly. Well, and you know what? The truth of the matter is bad calls happen. Bad calls happen. We had a lot of games this season in football where I complained about a bad call happening. And the next thing I said was, even if that bad call lost us the game, it's all our fault for not having made it more of a check, like for having been more of a head where that call even had the position to lose us the game. That The bad calls were going to win us or lose us the game. Because like you said, the foul leading up to that that gave Georgetown the lead was also a bad call. There were bad calls both ways. You got to run with something. It, it caught our favor this way, and after after the haunting memories of the things I've thought of that the rest have done to us over the years, I feel absolutely no guilt walking away with a bad call. Because it also wasn't a bad call. It was a missed thing, but after the fact, they made the right decision in the position they were in. So I feel no guilt. I'm glad it happened the way it did. I I'm more than comfortable to walk away with a win this way. Yeah, absolutely. It's just nice to win one. You know, just nice to win one when it comes to the refs. <laughs> Other than that bad call, 
I was mad at the game because Georgetown just wouldn't miss. And it pissed me off. They were 12 from 25 from three. So, like, yes, they missed shots. But the shots they were making, they weren't all wide open. They had a couple wide open threes. But many of them were, our guys got a hand in his face. There was a fadeaway three-pointer. Ish Masood had the freaking game of his life and faked a handoff, spun around, shot a off-balance three way behind the three-point line and sunk it. Like, Georgetown was not missing shots this game. And they also banked a three from, like, way behind the three-point line. So, yeah, we we overcame some things this game to win. Well, and the I, other thing is with them not missing threes, I, we brought up a couple games already. We're only, what, six games into the season? And we've already had a number of games where we've had to complain that we uh, they won't miss threes. And I haven't been able to watch all our games. I've been watching more diligently in the past week or so. Um, but when we've complained about the fact that they haven't been able to, that the other team hasn't missed, I've had this little haunting fear in the back of my mind of, well, is that our fault that these teams keep not, like everyone we play is hitting them. But I watched that game and it's exactly what you said. The shots they were making, I don't know what I could have asked our boys to have done that much about. Like, sure, there's always ways to improve, but they did their jobs. And despite that, Georgetown was just nailing them. Yeah. And to give Georgetown credit, like Georgetown is not necessarily a great team. They have a really good coach and they have a couple of really good players. Um, Epps is a phenomenal point guard, in my opinion. And he showed it in this game. He had over 20 points. In a game where Georgetown really couldn't miss and shot like almost 50% from the field, Emmanuel Miller was the difference here. <laughs> the guy had 29 points and also could not miss. And he was honestly the driving force of the morale for TCU. Whenever he was pushing in transition or on defense or just overall, I think the team as a whole did not play well when he was not on the court. And when he was, we went on runs and we ended up winning the game because of an incredible shot from him. There was an energy difference for sure when he wasn't on the court and when he was. I mean, you just look at his stats. He had five rebounds. Four of them were offensive rebounds. That's that's not normal. Uh, he had a lot of layups. He went three from four for deep. He's the only person on our team who had a positive shooting percentage from the three-point line, which is something we might get to a bit later. But he he showed this game why he is a first-team All-Big 12 preseason selection. He really did. And really, he has the past two games. But we'll definitely get to that later. And the other thing is, it was um, taking out the ref controversy of it all. Him putting the team on his back and winning the game at the end was super impressive. And if he'd been an inch closer, if he'd been whatever, taking all that out, it is not a given that he makes that shot. The fact that he pulled that off and won the game when it mattered was huge. To have someone you can rely on. Because we were talking, I think, in our round ball review, 
about needing probably Micah Peavy to be the guy you can hand it to to make his own make his own lane there. Well, Emmanuel Miller stood up and made that game ours. Like, and that's that's important. And there are going to be a lot of games that come down to the wire. And him being the kind of guy that finishes a game is super impressive. Yeah, I am. Emmanuel Miller and Jacoby Coles have really been our only productive forwards this entire season. Cork, Mustafa to some extent has been good, but he hasn't necessarily gotten the minutes, I think. Yuda has been basically a non-factor every single game. Um, we, Whenever we get into this Clemson game coming up or into Big 12 play, like we are going to need our forwards and our bigs to start producing. And if those are the only two guys producing from a forward standpoint, and really like Coles is a three, he's not a four. Same thing for Emmanuel Miller. Like they're both like three, four kind of hybrid guys. We need our bigs to start producing on offense and or just on the boards as a whole for us to actually be a productive team. I will say I've loved the fact that TCU has been able to have like basically a rotation of leading scorers throughout this season. I think it shows a lot of balance on the offensive side of the court when we can have Jacoby Coles, Emmanuel Miller, Jameer Nelson Jr., Micah Peavy, um, all of those guys being like top scorers. We, we don't necessarily have one person that teams can key in on. And yeah, you might, you might say that like Emmanuel Miller is that guy, but to that point, like he's had a couple of big games, but there have also been games where he's really like not been that much of a factor and other guys have stepped up to the plate. Emmanuel Miller was that guy this game, but it, we are a team by committee and any number of guys can step in if one guy is not there. Yeah, I really do think, I said it earlier, I think this team is <clears throat> much more offensively minded than our past teams. And you see that in the rotation of scores. Everybody wants to get theirs. That being said, I, I would really like for them to start focusing on defense a little bit more. Like you can look at the steals numbers and be like, oh, they are focusing on defense. I think that's that's a result of playing an uber aggressive defense. They're getting steals, but the defense as a team has taken steps back. I think they're more concerned with getting steals and starting fast breaks so they can get out and run. And that leads to over pursuing on passes, which leads to being way out of rotation and an open shot for the other team. And against good three-point shooting teams like Georgetown, they were making the threes where we had hands in their faces. They were definitely making threes where they were wide open. It it can really backfire against us. Yeah, and I, th I think to your point, Jacob, on the defensive factors, like TCU is playing a much more aggressive style of defense than they have in the past. We're going for turnovers. We're going for live ball steals. Um, a lot of that is Jameer Nelson Jr. and Avery Anderson Jr. just being really aggressive and hounding ball handlers. But I think as a whole, the team has been more aggressive, and that directly translates to, yeah, you'll force more turnovers, but you're, you'll also give up some easier 
close range baskets. And part of what that translates to is slow rotations to your point. And if a team is able to move the ball around quickly, we, we tend to get ourselves in a position where we're kind of in a scramble a lot of the times. And the thing that I've noticed that's, I think, a little different this year is like Uday has been lost in a lot of those scramble scenarios where he's just kind of sitting, like watching the ball go around and he's not rotating to his spot and he's not like playing defense early. Um, And I think that like that lack of positioning when people charge into the paint and drive into the paint, he's late on rotations and it ends up translating to either an easy layup or an easy kick out, and then the whole cycle starts again where we go into a scramble. Yeah. it's And really all of the bigs, it's not just Uday. It's all of them. We need to see more. We, we say every episode at this point how college basketball is a big man's game. And our bigs at this, at this rate are going to lose us some games this year. I mean, Uday been extremely unproductive. Cork made one of the biggest bonehead moves I've ever seen just shoving a dude for no reason to get ejected. I don't know if it was ejection worthy. I don't know if I agree with that, but like the, the foul in general was just dumb. He should be ejected for being dumb, not for making the foul. So, and that, that left uh, Mustafa who I've always said this season, He's my favorite big. I think he's the best big on our team. And I think this game actually reinforced that. I thought he was I thought he was above average this game. He got a lot of offensive rebounds. He made things happen on offense. There was energy there where there wasn't energy from Cork or Ude. And he got rebounds too. He had six rebounds. So I think we just got to see more out of them. And if there was a game where we were going to, it was this one. Georgetown's undersized. We needed to take advantage of of being bigger than them and use our, our physicality, and we didn't. I did like when we went small at the end of the game, though, with and we kind of reverted back to what we did at the end of last season with Coles at the five. I thought it worked really well, and was maybe the reason we won the game. So that was that was good to see that that option is still there. Yeah, so in, in an effort to save some time here, I think why don't we move on into the awards for this week. Um, we're transitioning awards from football into basketball, obviously, because our football season's over. So, Connor, you want to start us off with the Golden Player of the Week? Absolutely. Golden player was an easy one. Won at the game, had his breakout game. We talked about him a lot. Iman, 24 points, four rebounds, two steals, and a 100% free throw percentage. I guess those stats I just gave were per game this week. They weren't just this. Yeah, sorry. 100% free throw percentage and obviously won us the Georgetown game with that last second shot. He ran away with it this week. He was obviously the golden player of the week. Well, Jacob, uh, you want to take the Franken sensational? Yeah. Uh, so this was kind of 
a close battle, I thought, between two players. Uh, we I ended up going with Jameer Nelson Jr. as the Franken sensational player this week. He averaged 12 points per game. He had seven assists per game and averaged three steals per game. He had the first double-double on at, for any TCU player this year in the earlier game against Houston Christian. I think he's well-deserving of this award. And last but not least, uh, or I guess it is technically least, because <laughs> the player we want to see Murr out of, it's probably going to come as no surprise. It's Uday. He's averaged two and a half points per game and one and a half rebounds per game this week. He needs to slow down. I love the dude's motor. I love that he's got so much energy, but he gets so excited that he loses sight of where he actually needs to be in his positioning and his awareness. And I think that's exhibited by the fact that like the guy is our starting center and is averaging less than two rebounds a game. That is terrible. And so I know Jacob's talked about how like potentially it's a strategy thing of boxing people out and letting our guards go get the rebound. I think that there's some like merit to that having watched the last game, but Overall, like even if you're doing that, you still need to be getting more than two rebounds if you're a center. Um, so we want to see Murr out of Ernest Uday. So with that, we will go into our picks for the week. Last week was our last round of picks for football. I forgot to calculate the scores, so I have no idea where anyone stands. But the winner of the mystery game, and it was our first mystery basketball game, was Team 1 who was keeping in the football theme. I was celebrating their first bowl appearance. James Madison beat Keystone 130 to 59. (laughs) Holy crap. Um, Rough game for Keystone. (laughs) With that for this week, um, I didn't grab all the big 12 games just because there are a bunch of nobodies. I have like six or seven gimme games that should go quick from the big 12. I have, for our three-point round, I've got three Big 12 games against somebody that should be better games. And then, of course, or I guess not our three-point round, the, where I would normally grab other games around the country. And then for our three-point round, it's as usual. In our mystery round, it's as usual. It's just all basketball now. So real quick, Clemson, TCU. Jacob. I'm going to go with Clemson. Barrett. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think Clemson's a really, really good team this year. And that being said, I think TCU somehow pulls this one out, even though I don't think we're the better team right now. I think Barrett is exactly right. Go Frogs. Providence at Oklahoma. This one should be quick and easy, unless I'm wrong about Providence. Barrett. Yeah, Oklahoma. Providence doesn't have their coach since he's over at Georgetown now. (laughs) Kansas City at Kansas, Jacob. Kansas. KU. Uh, I'm going to stick with Kansas as well. Seton Hall at Baylor. Baylor. I think Seton Hall's an underrated, like, mid-major team. I still think Baylor wins this, but I think Seton Hall puts up a fight in the first half. This is going to cost me more points than it did in football season. I am not picking <laughs> Baylor Seton Hall. <laughs> All right. 
Oklahoma State at South Illinois. South Illinois. Barrett? Gosh, I'm going to pick OSU here against my better judgment. They have not looked good this year. I am with Jacob on this one. I'm going with South Illinois. All right. I'm going to move on to some more... I guess more interesting games. They're all they're still including Big 12, but more interesting. Texas at Marquette. Ooh, this will be a good game, but Marquette's going to take it. Barrett? Tyler Kolek is the truth. I love that dude. Um, it'll be an interesting guard battle between Kolek and Tyrese Hunter. Uh, and same thing with Cam Smith, I think is his last name, and uh, Max Asmus. There's going to be a lot of points put up in this game. I think Marquette comes out on top. I also have Marquette, but I also agree that it's going to be a very good game. Iowa at Iowa State. Jacob. Iowa State takes this one. <laughs> Barrett. Uh, yeah, I think Iowa State's going to take this one. They've looked really good this season. All right. I have not watched either of these two teams this season, but I'm going with Iowa State. Last but not least, Arkansas at um oklahoma i don't know if these are actually at they were listed that way but i know there are a bunch of tournaments going on right now but whatever arkansas at oklahoma oh he's gonna take it sorry barrett nah hogs are gonna win this one i think ou is a decent team i don't think they're as good as their record shows i also am going with arkansas i'm riding with barrett too often here and have no chance of breaking away from him now we're on to the three-point round the games that really matter we have Alice Lloyd at Tennessee Tech. Jacob. This uh, this three-point round the entire season is going to be awesome because of how many just, just <laughs> weird basketball. colleges That's there are. All weird. I'm going to take Alice Lloyd. The, the woman the woman will, will beat the, uh, the men's team. <laughs> Barrett. Uh, I'm going with Tennessee Tech here. Thank God Barrett and I finally picked something different. I just watched Lady Ballers. I have full faith that Alice Lloyd will run this game. <laughs> I have got next up COE at West Illinois. Jacob. Look, I live here. The Church of England is a pretty <laughs> big deal. <laughs> that being said, who are they playing again? West Illinois. West Illinois is going to take it. All right, Barrett. Church of England is going to correct their errors, and they are going to take this one against a not-so-great directional team. I'd like to point out this is the second directional Illinois that has been in the picks this week. (laughs) (laughs) I, I ran... With the other directional Illinois, so I'm going to trust this directional Illinois, and I'm going with West Illinois. Last but not least, we had Alice Lloyd already. We've got a friend of Alice Lloyd's, Bob Jones at Furman. Oh, Jacob. I gotta go with gotta go with the Paladins. F you, baby. Barrett. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My my dog apparently does not like Bob Lloyd. Um, let's ride. Well, it's Paladin. Bob Jones and Alec. Bob Jones. Bob Lloyd, Alice Jones, whatever. Let's go Paladins. All right, my cousin went to Furman. I got to give it to him. 
F you, baby. Last but not least, we've got the mystery round. XL picked for me. I am team two. Jacob. Team one. Barrett. Team one won this week, so let's go team one. All right. That puts us together for this week. And with that, let's move on to what's, uh, what else has happened outside the world of basketball for a minute. Barrett, you were at our volleyball game. What happened around TCU at our volleyball game this week, games this week? Yeah, so TCU Volleyball played in the NCAA tournament for the Volleyball National Championship this week, round one and round two. Round one, they beat Florida State, actually. Um, they won in four sets, and that entire game, basically, they fed Melanie Parra, and she looked locked in as she did it against Arkansas in the round two. Um, that, that was pretty much the story of that entire game was just feeding Melanie and letting her do her thing. Um, moving on to round two against Arkansas playing in Fayetteville. Uh, this was definitely a a hometown favorite matchup. There were a lot of Arkansas fans at this game, obviously, considering that they were playing in their home court. Um, it was an incredibly even matchup, although TCU did lose in four sets um, that I think the the score did not do justice how evenly matched these teams actually were. At, at the end of the day, TCU blocked really well up at the line with their middles, um, but our back line really struggled to pass well and to, to dig kills from Arkansas's outside hitters. And that really limited our offense because our setter basically couldn't get any easy sets because they were always running to try and get to the ball. Um, overall, I thought Bram Schreiber, our libero, kind of struggled in this game. Um, and defense really was the difference here. Arkansas's libero was incredible, and ours definitely didn't necessarily do a great job. Um, one other kind of aspect here was that I thought Melanie Parra was not set enough. She only ended up with 14 kills, which for her is like a downtime. Um, and there were pretty much every single set of this series TCU got ahead to an early to a late lead and then kind of let it dwindle away and ended up losing um one of the big pieces here was I thought we shot ourselves in the foot um we had a lot of service errors we had a lot there were like three or four times where TCU had miscommunication where they just kind of let the ball drop in the center of the of the court um overall I think the the errors, 22 versus Arkansas's 15 for the total game was kind of the big player here. In a close matchup, that was what made the difference. Okay. Barrett knows this. I know he has his wife to cheat off of, but you know the surprising amount about volleyball. I was really impressed by that breakdown. Um, with that... Getting back to our main topic, we've got a basketball game coming up this week. What should we expect from the Frogs playing against? I know Georgetown we considered our first real opponent, but Clemson is a very real opponent. What should we expect against Clemson this week? Clemson 6-0 and coming off of a big win at Alabama in the ACC, SEC, whatever they call it. Um. This is a really good team. They're ranked, I think, number 31 in the Ken Palm right now. And I don't pay attention to AP poll. AP poll doesn't matter to me. Ken Palm is what matters. They, I, I think we have the ability to win this game. We have 
the veterans on our team and the talent to win this game. I think it depends on whether the team defense shows up or not. We're going to need to play some help defense. The rotations are going to have to be on point. We're playing in Toronto. So Emmanuel Miller, you know, it's it's a hometown game for him. So that's that's about what I got. Barrett, uh, I know there is a favorite player of yours for Clemson, though. Yeah. So PJ Hall is definitely their best player this year. He's a 6'11 center. The dude is a do-it-all big. He's averaging over 21 points per game on almost 55% shooting, 41% from three. He's also averaging over seven uh, rebounds per game and over a block per game. The guy is really, really good, and Clemson's offense is kind of predicated around him. Um, They've got some shooters on the outside. The the team moves the ball really well, and they run kind of an inside-out offense where they're looking to get both their bigs and and P.J. Hall and Ian Shiflin touches on the inside. And then either the defense collapses – and they kick it out to a shooter on the outside, or they don't, and let the big guy work. So um, they move the ball extremely well. Um, Joe Girard transferred from Syracuse. He's a, a savvy point guard. He's an elite shooter. Um, he's someone to keep an eye on. Chase Hunter as well, same thing. Um, both those guys are very good with the ball in their hands and very good at spot-up threes. And so – this is a well-built team in terms of offensive flow, and and they can easily beat us. Uh, Uday is going to have his work cut out for him. He needs to stay out of foul trouble if we're going to have any chance here. Uh, somebody else that we really need to key in on is Chase Hunter. He's a 6'4", 6'5", guard. He's their leading ball handler from what it looks like at least. Averaging thir- just over 13 points per game on 47.5% shooting, but he's also a 45.8% three-point shooter. His three-point shooting is almost as accurate as his normal shooting. That's incredibly impressive. He has 21 assists, uh, which is the second most on the team, and 11 turnovers, which is the most on the team. It doesn't look like he's a defensive mastermind in the f- sense of getting a lot of turnovers, forcing turnovers. He only has like two or three steals on the season, but that doesn't mean he's a bad defender. He could be good at help defense, forcing players into bad shots, etc. cetera. Uh, but the Chase Hunter is the guy. He's a senior. He's experienced. He, he's who we, we will need to key in on. And the past two games, we've let guards go off on us. We need to not do that in this game. They already have enough in P.J. Hall. Yeah, and, and this is a matchup where I think last night they showed, the commentator showed a stat where like TCU is the, one of the fifth oldest teams in the country in terms of average age. Clemson is right up there with us, if I had to guess. They've got an experienced roster with a lot of talent kind of across the board. Um, the way that TCU is going to win this game is is being aggressive and post defense early and getting PJ Hall off of his spot. Um, 
at one of the keys of like basketball post defenses, do your work early so that you don't have to defend late. Um, if we are not able to get him off his spot, they're going to collapse our defense. They're, he's good enough of a passer to be able to find open shooters. Um, we really, really need to deny him the ball on the post so that they can't get, so we can stagnate their offense. Um, on the flip side of that, I think we need, on the offensive piece, we need to utilize our guards' athleticism and size in this game. And we need to run and transition like we normally do so well. And we need to get to the rim and get to the line. We need to get their bigs in foul trouble early so that we can take them out of the out of the scenario. And the the one flaw with what I heard there a lot was you used the word early a lot for things we need to do early. And if I've been watching TCU basketball this year, early is when we're bad. So I'm a little frightened at how many of your keys to the game there required us doing things right off the bat. Yeah, this yeah. this is a tough matchup. Honestly, this is this is going to be our first like real hard matchup. I sh- I would say. Completely agree. I think there's a good chance if we win this game, knock on wood, of course. But we could win out in the the uh, non conference play. So we need to really come in and start fast and then not do what we did in the second half after we started fast this past game. We need to continue moving fast. Well, the good news is because Clemson's an ACC team, even if they beat us and then go undefeated the rest of the season, they won't make March Madness. (laughs) (laughs) Um. With that, you guys have any other notes on Clemson before we move on? All right. There have been some comments about this strength of schedule for TCU. So we want to take a minute here and have our little strength of schedule talk. Boys, whichever one of you wants to take and run with that real quick to get us started there. Jacob. Yeah, I'll take it because this is always very interesting to me. Um, The announcers harped on it last night. Everybody knows it. Our strength of schedule up to last night was 362nd in the country out of 362 teams. There's no denying it was bad. We played some of the worst teams in the country. But looking ahead to the future, we have the fourth toughest schedule in the country, including last night. So take out the first six games. Fourth hardest schedule in the country. We played some, like I said, we played some really bad teams, but upcoming, we have two possible quadrant run one games in the rest of out of conference play with Clemson and Nevada. If we just look at the numbers and said you could have two quadrant one wins in out of conference before the season starts. Would you take the rest of your non-conference play? Personally, yes, because Quadrant 1 wins are so important into making the NCAA tournament. And looking at our conference play, the majority of our games are Quadrant 1 games. So if we can add two Quadrant 1 games to that total, even better. I have no problems really with the way our schedule is set up. I would like 
or would have liked to have a couple more testier games before Georgetown against some not so good teams, maybe some teams in the low 200s of the Ken Palm instead of the high 200s. But ultimately, we get we're getting what we need to get numbers wise. So I don't think we need to be complaining like we do. Yeah, I, I would say that like most teams in the country outside of really the, like the top 10, I would say, schedule like cupcake games for the first four or five games leading up to the season. Um, obviously, you'll see some big matchups like Kansas playing Kentucky or whatever. Um, but I think pretty much across the board, a lot of the like kind of upper echelon like mid-tier teams tend to play like really bad teams to start out and they'll go to a tournament where they'll end up playing some other like kind of top tier out of conference teams and i don't necessarily think that that's an issue for tcu um like jacob said i think if you can schedule one or two like really two good teams to play and you're out of conference that goes a lot further than not playing like okay teams for the rest of the games. Well, and at the end of the day, we're in the big 12 this year. And then especially in the years to come, when we pick up the new teams, strength of schedule is not going to be our problem. If we're, if we're winning, we'll be fine. This year, you looked at how slow our starts were to begin with. We got, practice in when we needed it early to handle those slow starts against nobody opponents. And we scheduled stronger teams. Then we might've blown it because we were having very slow starts, but I'd much rather work out those kinks against a nobody. And then know that our strength of schedule is going to be very impressive no matter what, because we are in a dominant basketball conference. Yeah. To, to kind of add here, like, our conference schedule to that point is stupid difficult. Uh, we have, so we have 18 conference games, right? Um, of those games, half of them are supposedly Q1. And then seven of the remaining nine are Q2. And then the other two are Q3. So I think it's probably okay for TCU to have an easier non-conference schedule when your conference schedule has so many difficult games. Yeah, and even of the Q2 and Q3, there are a bunch of them that are kind of right on the line of becoming a level above. Um, The only ones that aren't are West Virginia and UCF at home. Like... I don't think that they're really going to go anywhere, (laughs) but you never know. So, and the quadrant rankings change week by week. So one week it could be a Q2 win. The next week it could be Q1 if they're right on the line. So we have a lot of potential for movement here. I'm keeping a spreadsheet tracking every single team's Ken Palm rankings and quadrant rankings. Um, Throughout the year, I'm changing it about two, two, three times a week. So we will update everybody on how many quadrant wins we have on a weekly basis. Well, and the other thing of all this is, obviously, 
I'd love for us to only play the best teams in the country and then beat all of them. But a year ago, we lost to Northwestern State. We can't be complaining about playing nobodies when it's like, okay, at least we're beating nobodies. Yet last year, we were losing to nobodies. This is a win. And now, having gotten this win, we can go get more wins against these big teams like Clemson. I feel very good about our schedule. I think we did a good job planning it. And that we being are- said, even though we've been playing nobodies, we still make power rankings every single week for, for Big 12 basketball. Not as much movement this week. BYU moved from 7 to 6, and Iowa State took BYU's spot at number 7. It's the only movement we had this week. Barrett, what are you thinking? Yeah, so I actually had BYU jumping TCU in my power rankings this week. Um, the fact that we did not necessarily play great against a, I would say, okay Georgetown team, and BYU has consistently looked really good. Um, I actually have them at five instead of six, so I have the two flip-flopped. Um, outside of that, I actually have K-State all the way down at 12, um, and Tech and UCF moving up above them. Um UCF, albeit not necessarily a great team, has looked pretty good, and K-State has looked arguably very bad this season. Um, so that's the only kind of big call-outs that I have here. Um, I, as you guys have heard in, in other weeks, like I'm a bit of a UCF truther. Um, I think they've got like one really good player who can carry them to the promised land. Same thing with Iowa State. I think Iowa State is much better than their record shows. Uh, they can shoot. They can. They force a lot of turnovers, and they're they're an athletic team. So that's that's another team to keep an eye on here. I changed literally nothing in my rankings, so <laughs> I don't have much to say. Um, I didn't get to see too many games, and the ones I did didn't shift my perspective all that much. Um. I think Barrett's got a point to be made that we didn't super perform against the not too great Georgetown, but also that was the best opponent we played yet. And we won where it counted and I'm a Homer, so I am not going to hurt us unless I have very good reason to. So that I, I left it as it was. Yeah. I actually had TCU in seventh in my, in my personal rankings behind OU. I also had BYU jumping. Barrett, BYU is 10th in the Ken Palm rankings right now. That's they look not really good. They look really good. I consider jumping jumping UT with BYU, but not yet. I gotta slow my roll with the Mormons. Um I, I think I still have Houston at, at number one for me. They haven't lost yet. They've looked good. Um it's a week by week thing. If they haven't lost, I see no reason to move them from one. Uh, same same reason I have OU ahead of Iowa State. OU hasn't lost, and they have a better win than Iowa State does. So haven't moved them. But the bottom of really all of our rankings, pretty much the same. I think that's how it's going to be throughout the, throughout the season. There are eight or nine really good teams in the Big 12, and I think all eight or nine will be making – the NCAA tournament and it's just who 
has the focus and ability to not take losses to those bottom four will be ranked at the at the high end of, of the Big 12 rankings. Yeah. Yeah, one, one of the things to note here is the number of undefeated teams that are still in the Big 12. Um, there are, I think, f- six, right? Uh, yeah, Baylor, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, OU, and TCU are all still undefeated. And I think there's like 30 or so undefeated teams across the country left. And so that kind of goes to show, to, to Jacob's point, like leading into conference play where none of these teams have really played each other yet. And so obviously like that's going to create some one loss teams at some point, but the fact that a large portion of the teams in the big 12 are still undefeated coming, coming to the tail end of out of conference schedule is something to note. With the exception of teams like Oklahoma state, who Barrett picked as his upset pick of this week against South Illinois. Man, Oklahoma State and West Virginia are just two terrible teams. West Virginia had another really embarrassing loss. I don't remember who it was to uh, in their last game. I have them at 14 in my own personal rankings. But, man, they're both bad. I have Oklahoma State at the bottom, but it's honestly just because they lost to a more embarrassing team earlier. So I started thinking of that. The truth of the matter is you could flip a coin. I Do they play each other this season? I know it's mixed up with the extra teams this year. I would love to watch Oklahoma State, West Virginia, because one of them would have to win, and that'd be hilarious. They do play. Where do they, they play? play? I believe they play at Oklahoma State on January 27th. I can't wait for January 27th. The line I imagine is going to be Oklahoma State just because they're at home, but that is going to be a battle of who can lose harder. I can't wait for that. Hey, man, you can never underestimate the all-star guard that is Kirk Rissa in Big 12 play. The man just takes and makes big shots. We see it every year in the NCAA tournament when he has three points and six turnovers. <laughs> But those three points, man, they're important. I can't wait for him to lose to every team in this conference. All right. Do we have anything else about the power rankings? Go Frogs. Uh, Yeah. Well, with that, thank you all very much for tuning in to another episode of your favorite podcast with your three favorite geniuses. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at TCU's Three Wise Men. Keep an eye out for a possible midweek round ball review for our midweek games. Although, never mind, not this week. We don't have um, a midweek game. That's right. We don't have a midweek game. Do not keep an eye out for that. But in general, keep eyes out for that in future weeks. With that being said, thanks so much. Tune in next week and go Frogs.